Hey, what's happening, everybody? Uh, I hope you're enjoying this in-depth look in Genesis. And some of the material in Genesis is, is really, really difficult. And uh, the this lesson today is no different. Uh, it... It comes with the warning label of there's mature content that uh, younger listeners may not be ready for. That's why uh, we're not doing this message in the the main church proper setting, uh, just so that uh, the the lesson is out there and. Uh, and we always try and keep that in mind that we, we want to be obedient to the Lord and and He over and over in Scripture tells us to be mindful and watchful and protective of the hearts and minds of children. So we, we're, we're really trying to do that. We're, we're not trying to hide or to overly shelter them from the Word of God, uh, but we we don't want to create more questions than answers and uh being wise like solomon we don't want to awaken uh love or passion too soon with giving them information that maybe they're just not ready for uh having said that we're going to be jumping off in in genesis once again and uh in Genesis chapter 33 is where we're going to begin. And, and uh, the, the title, if you will, of this lesson is that God is still working even when things aren't going the way you planned or aren't going well at all. And it would be fair to say God's still working even when things get difficult. And... Uh, so many times we struggle with why do bad things happen to good people and and that that's a, a big struggle for us but uh, as we look at the word of God today we're going to see that something absolutely horrible is going to happen to the family of Jacob and and God is using it to keep Jacob on the path that he has for him. And that's difficult to look at sometimes because uh, we, we, we've been trained by the, the culture of America influencing the word of God rather than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his word and his son Jesus influencing our culture. And, and we, we look at God is just this big genie in a bottle that grants our every wish and makes everything good and smooth. And, and that's not necessarily the truth. Sometimes God allows difficult things to come into our life and uses them to lead and guide us to where he would have us be. Uh, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 33. And, and this is the reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. <clears throat> it begins by saying, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. 
And he put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Uh, just looking at that, it's, it's very easy to see who Jacob loved the most and valued the most because he kept them closest to him so that if anything went wrong, maybe at the last minute he could take what he held most dear and escape. But then it says, Then Jacob went on ahead, and he approached his brother, and he bowed to the ground seven times before him. A, a very custom greeting of humility. And, and then Esau ran to him and embraced him, and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children, and they bowed before him. And finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what are all the flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my Lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. Which is an interesting choice of words there by Jacob because he wrestled with God and, and in the previous chapter claims to have seen the face of God and lived. And, you know, he, it's interesting to me that Jacob is, is trying to, to ensure his brother's goodwill through gifts. And essentially, it's a bribe. And, and you know, in verse 11, it says, please take this gift I have brought for you. God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my Lord, some of the children are very young and the flocks and the herds have their young too. If they are driven hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children, and I will meet you at Sierra. You know, looking here, Jacob has given a big percentage of his wealth to Esau. And, and now he's using what's left of his possession as an excuse to travel at his own pace. And, and we see... Jacob still being Jacob because his intention is not at all to follow Esau. And his intention is to go his own way and to continue living his own life and to do things exactly as he's done before. Where he, I believe he intended for God to continue to bless and multiply him, but he was also being very, very guarded of protecting what little wealth he had left. And, and we're going to see that as this plays out. He, Esau 
replies and, and says, let me at least assign some of my men to guide and protect you. And Jacob responded, that is not necessary. It is, it is enough. You have received me warmly, my Lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. But Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Sukkoth. And he built there, he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is named Sukkoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Padanaram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. And there he set up a camp outside of the town. It's interesting that he, he stopped for a while at a place that he called shelters. And, and the Bible says that he built a house and made shelters for his livestock. That doesn't mean he made a permanent dwelling because Jacob, we have to keep in mind as we study Jacob, that he is following his herds and moving with the herd. <clears throat> He's not building lavish homes and and you know he, he's not building the Yellowstone ranch he is moving his herds to follow the grazing and and that has led him to Shechem and Jacob bought a plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor the father of Shechem for a hundred pieces of silver and there he built an altar and named it El Elohe Israel, which if you read it in the Hebrew is just Elohim Israel. And, and Elohim means God or works or special possessions of God. And we heard last message that Israel means that God prevails. <coughs> And um, I, I had a good laugh when I looked at um, what Hamor means. And uh, I'll keep this, uh, I won't put this in King James, but his, his name literally means male donkey. And, and I had a pretty good laugh because I was looking for something deeply spiritual in the name of Hamor. <clears throat> and it, it's not really there. He's, he's just a he donkey so uh, but looking at this Jacob has has come to this place and, and he's camping here and he's buying a piece of land which is is not something you do just thinking hey I'm gonna set I'm gonna keep moving and grazing because if you're just passing through in the Bedouin culture you don't have to buy the land necessarily to to graze it if you buy the land you have an intent to to settle or to build a home base there and uh, this is we have the 10,000 foot view and this is not God's plan at all for Jacob he doesn't plan for him to settle on, on the very outer edge of Canaan Okay, Shechem is, is in what we would, in modern day terminology, they call Palestine. And this is the outer edge of Palestine. So Jacob is set up to, to build 
here by buying land and and that's not the plan that God has for him and, and we're going to see that play out in chapter 34 uh, in in a horrible way and and I'm not going to sit here and say that God planned for this atrocity to happen but God can use the worst of circumstances to to move in the hearts of good people to carry out his plan. And uh, we jump right off in chapter 34. It says, one day Dinah, and, and Dinah's name means judgment. The daughter of Jacob and Leah went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince, Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and he raped her. But then he fell in love with her and he tried to win her affection with tender words. The, this is one of the, the darker parts of Scripture in my view because the, this is the, the actions of a sociopath I, I mean the this guy raped her and then decided he's in love with her and he tries to win her affection with tender words that this is manipulative and, and vile and disgusting that he would treat this young girl this way and he says to his father more get me this young girl i want to marry her and soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, he said nothing until they returned. This is one of those times as a father, I'm utterly disgusted with Jacob. Because to, to sit back and do nothing to defend the honor of his daughter. And, and part of this, I, I have to try and detach from it a little bit and put yourself in Jacob's shoes that he's not as financially strong as as anyone else in the region. He doesn't have the men and the resources to to start a big fight. But at the same time, I mean, it's your daughter. And and he's not doing anything to defend her honor and and that this that this is a hard piece of scripture for me because that 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 is not who I think I would be in that moment, and I pray I'm never in that moment. But Hamor, Shechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. And meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field, and when they heard what happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family and something should be something that should never be done. And Hamor tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. Give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons, and you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. 
I mean, this is this is the kind of bargain that Jacob is is looking for in this moment. As misguided as it is, he's going to get alliances and he's going to get economic opportunity. All of these things are, are being laid out on the table for him by Hamor right here. And and Jacob is, is sitting here sitting on it, thinking about it. And then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's father and her brothers. Please be kind and let me marry her. He begged, I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. Okay, this is a obsession on a deep, deep level for this guy to, to have raped this girl and then be willing to, to pay whatever is asked of her family to take her as his wife. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father Hamor. Uh, it's interesting to me that Jacob, the trickster sons, are going to be tricky and deceitful here. They said to them, we couldn't possibly allow this because you're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here's the solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we will live among you and become one people. Now, as we've talked about before, circumcision was the mark of the covenant that, that Abraham's descendants carried to, to show their covenant relationship with God. And, and Jacob's sons are going to weaponize the mark of the covenant right here. And it, it just blows my mind because Shechem and Hamor expressed their desire to invite the descendants of Abraham into their nation. We want you to become one people with us. <clears throat> and it, I find it interesting because the one thing that set them apart as God's chosen people to this point, they're inviting uh, Shechem and Hamor and their people into as a means of deceit. And... <clears throat> And it's, it's, it's going to play out really interestingly. <clears throat> Shechem wasted no time acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family. He went with his father, Hamor, to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. 
But if we do this, all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let us agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. Are you seeing how the deceit is circling back? The, the idea is not so much that, that Shechem and Hamor want the Israelites to become one people with them, but they want to acquire all of the remaining wealth of Jacob through these alliances and through these marriages. And they're essentially trying to trap the, <clears throat> the family of Israel and and do it through through arranged marriages, which you know we have the advantage of looking forward in Scripture, and we can see how that ultimately leads to the destruction of the kingdom for Solomon. But we're we're seeing it play out here as an attempted takeover, if you will, speaking in business terms. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamor and Shechem, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamor and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. <clears throat> now, I, I'm going to take a quick pause here to let that sink in. That two men killed every man in a, in a village, not just a house, in an entire village. And they went and conquered them because... These other men were not in a position to fight back. <clears throat> and when you look at Simeon and Levi's names, Simeon and Levi, if you go into, uh, into verse 25, it, it lists them in order. Simeon and Levi and then Dinah. And when you look at their named meanings, it <clears throat> Simeon's name means heard or the ability to hear. And Levi means joined to. And Dinah's name means judgment. So they the ability to hear and to be joined to judgment. The the, the judgment that came at the hands of Simeon and Levi on these people. Yes, it, it, from the outside looking in, it, it's very easy to say that it was the, the, the judgment of brothers taking revenge for their sister and defending her honor. But in a way, is, it almost looks like God is using them as an instrument of judgment on on these people who were were trying to steal away his prized possession and <clears throat> and his chosen people meanwhile 
the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. The, the only two that did the, the slaughter were Simeon and Levi. The, the rest of the sons show up. They found all the men slaughtered, so they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. Now, not all of these are full-blood siblings to Dinah. And, and they're going to come in and they're going to plunder the town. They seize all of the flocks and the herds and the donkeys and everything they could lay their hands on, both inside of the town and outside of the fields. They looted all of their wealth and plundered their houses. They took all of their children and wives and led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. You have made me a stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us, and I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. This is where we get to see Jacob's intent with settling here and and being so willing to make these alliances even after the atrocity that was committed on his daughter he he was looking he was still looking to to make alliances and and to settle in to the people around him and, and to settle with these people and and their ideas and and uh, to trade and to share and, and to just assimilate, if you will, into that society. And, and now he's just absolutely sure that his sons have ruined him. And, and uh, the phrasing, you made me a stink among all the people of this land. Because, you know, Jacob sat back as his sons made the deal about circumcision. And... There, there's very little chance that word is not going to get out to all these other people that you can't trust him. You can't take him at his word. And, and now he's just absolutely convinced that his entire household will be wiped out. And, and their reply, you know, they, they look at him and they say, but why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They're, the These two boys are, are feeling vindicated, you know, and, and they have no idea that, that in the middle of all of this mess, that, that God was working in the background to guarantee that Israel would not look and depend on these neighbors, would not depend on the Canaanites and the, the Perizzites because what we're going to find out in the coming chapters is God's going to reaffirm his covenant that I'm going to give all of this land to you. That all these inhabitants that are in the land are not going to be your issue and they're not going to be your source and they're not going to be your provision that I am. And, you know, Jacob was still struggling with who God called him to be. And, and the, the thing is, we study the lives of, of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob and, and the upcoming study of Joseph. I, I love that they don't get it right. 
all the time. And that, that God keeps progressively revealing himself to them and, and revealing parts of their character that aren't pleasing to him. Right here, we're seeing that Jacob is, is not pleasing God. He's trying to settle in a place that he shouldn't be settling. He's trying to rebuild and reestablish wealth in ways that God didn't intend for him to. And, and he's even making compromise as to, as to being the leader of his family for the sake of building wealth and power and influence. If that's not a, a picture of what our world tries to do, that, that the world tries to tell you that you don't have enough, that you don't measure up, that you have to compromise in order to, to gain what this world puts its value in. Hopefully that it doesn't take something dramatic and, and shocking and disturbing like it did in Jacob's life for him to continue moving. I pray that we as as God's people would would be completely engulfed with the idea that this world is not our home, that we're just traveling through. And and while we're here, it's our job to help build God's kingdom by loving the people around us like he does. And to constantly be about building his kingdom. And, and moving and following the leading of the Holy Spirit to our eternal home, to the promised land of heaven, and to not get so tied up with the stuff that we lose sight of the one who's giving it to us. So thank you again for spending the time with us. And... And I pray that as, as you continue to dig deeper into the Word of God, that, that He reveals more of who He's called you to be through His Word. Have a great day.